0: Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we trust you because you have shown yourself to be so worthy of all our trust, all our faith, all our hope. You have shown this in sending your Son, in his incarnation, in his death and resurrection. Lord Jesus, you have shown us your grace by living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died. And Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you give us hearts of worship for our Father in heaven and that you will give us eyes for our heart to see who Jesus is, our Savior, and what he has done. Bless me, Lord, with your word, for if I am responsible to give it, I will fail. I am too weak for this calling. And Lord, bless my friends, my brothers and sisters in the, in the congregation, for apart from your Holy Spirit, to help them to listen, surely their ears will be deaf. And yet, Lord, we trust that you, who have saved us from our sins in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, will also give to us everything that we need to worship you And to just trust Jesus in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for what we do not deserve. And yet you have so abundantly given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me to our text for today. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. If you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Galatians can be found... After Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and there it is. So, the way that one Sunday school taught it to me is: Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Crazy girls eat popcorn. <laughs> so, so. A little better than every boy. Good boy deserves fudge, right? So, that's, or <laughs> does fine. So, piano enthusiasts know what I'm talking about. And you'll also find it on the back of your bulletins. Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. May God bless this reading of his word. Now, uh, this is the little episode recap that happens at the begin- beginning of drama shows, right? Where, where, are we, where have we come from? If you're visiting us today, our church has been studying for the last few months Paul's letter his epistle to the Galatian church and the argument that Paul has been working so hard against because he came and planted this church in Galatea and he taught them salvation is in and through and from Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Don't you forget it. But then he heard the sad news that his sons and daughters in the faith were under threat of forgetting it. Because people, this group called the Judaizers, came in saying, yeah, salvation is in Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved. You cannot be presentable, acceptable before God without Jesus. But they were also saying, Jesus and the things that God commanded centuries before in the Old Testament. If you want to be the people of God, you have to have Jesus Christ and have circumcision, which was the mark, the sign that you were of the people of God in the Old Testament. Like a wedding ring is a sign that you are married and last week pastor john gave this magnificent good news that no god gave blessings in fact when you read the old testament that the judaizers prized so greatly paul shows that he prized it even more that god's word shows that god gave blessings to abraham Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15 and 18. Blessings that said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse and all nations on earth will be blessed on account of you. And Genesis 15, John explained last week that the promise was made. Now typically, promises are made between two people with threats. Right? There's this Asian... I know it's in, a, it's in a Korean, but also in Japan. I don't know if it's in any other nation, uh, Asian nation. But where you do a pinky promise. Now, this pinky promise says that, hey, we're both going to do what we said, right? Now, what little kids don't quite understand is the extra part, all right, the un- unspoken part. Or else, I'm going to rip your pinky off because that's what you deserve, all right? Actually, the... The um, vernacular would be cross my heart and hope to die, right? If I don't keep my promise. But in Genesis 15, God gives this blessing to Abraham. Through your offspring, through your seed, will my promise of blessing be fulfilled. Through your seed will my promise to make everything right take place. And Abraham's already He's got animal carcasses lined up Because back then in the Old Testament They didn't use pinkies and they didn't say Cross my heart, hope to die They lined up animals, chopped them in half And whoever was the weaker person Would walk between saying If I don't make good on my promise Let me be cut apart like these animals It's a pretty good way of Just incentivizing someone to keep their promise, right? But Abraham is worried, how will I ever keep my promise? And God shows, no, this isn't that kind of promise. And God himself walks through those animal pieces saying, I will be the guarantor of this promise. I will be the one who makes it come true. And even if you fail, I will not fail. So God gave his promise of blessing to Abraham apart from what Abraham had to do. And so God gave blessings through a promise, not the condition of obeying the law. And that is Paul's massive argument against the Judaizers, those who are trying to say that Christians had to believe in Jesus Christ, but also to do the things that God commanded In days of old. That both were how you would be saved. Paul says that's not how God dealt with Abraham. And that is not how God deals with us today. And so this passage that we've just read. Has two questions. And an answer. An overarching answer. And the two questions are. Why then the law? Is the law then contrary to the promises of God and the statement, prisoners until Christ? So the first point of today's message, why then the law? John Stott says that Paul anticipates the Judaizers' question. These great teachers who are saying, what was the point of the law then? Why did God give it at all? We might have that question too, right? If God gave such amazing promises of blessing to Abraham, saying, I'm going to make this amazing thing happen, and even if you mess it up, I'm not going to mess it up. Why didn't God just stop there? Send Jesus Christ and we're done. And Paul has an answer. Verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Or, we know it by another word, sins. It was added because of our sin. Now that might beg the question, wait, is Paul saying that the law was added so people could now become sinners? It's as if, The Long Island Expressway didn't have any speed limit signs, and so you could drive whatever speed you wanted. You could drive it at 15 miles an hour, or you could drive it at 150 miles an hour. And without speed limit signs, you're not a lawbreaker either way. Is that what Paul is saying? You know, that the law, that the appearance of those darn white signs with black numbers and letters, that that is why we are now lawbreakers because we weren't doing anything wrong before. No, that's not the case. And we see in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, how Paul explains this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This verse, Paul is saying that... You are without excuse. That's what the law is there for. You are without excuse. You don't have, if you are trying to beat a murder app, you're on the stand. Do you have an alibi? No. Is there a murder weapon? Yes. Does it have your bloody fingerprints on it? Yes. Did someone take a smartphone video of you in the act? Yes. In a case like that, do you have any defense? No. And so this verse, verse 20, Paul says, For by works of the law, by what we do, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul is saying that, yes, Before the law breaking comes, there is something else. There is sin. There is that intent. In fact, we even understand this in our legal system today, don't we? There's a whole variety of ways that you can be charged for killing someone else, aren't there? There's negligent homicide, there's manslaughter, where you're not thinking, but it's in the heat of emotion, just can't restrain yourself, which are still lesser sentences than murder pre-meditated, malice aforethought, where the law tries to divine what was the intention of the person. And Paul is saying that before our law-breaking, before God gave us the law, there was sin in our hearts. And Paul is talking about Adam in the garden here. Certainly he is tr- speaking of every one of us, but we were in Adam, and in Adam sin came into the world. Yes, he sinned when he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there would not have been something to show his sin if God had not given the law first. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, God giving that law, that command to Abraham, to Adam, God was saying, Show, you will show yourself faithful to me and how you love me and trust me and how grateful you are to me as your creator and your friend. You will show all of these things to me by listening to what I say and not eating this one tree, this one fruit from this tree. Adam, in eating the fruit, showed that he wanted knowledge of good and evil. God was going to give him knowledge of good and evil, but on the side of good, of being obedient. But Adam wanted that knowledge for himself, apart from God. And apart from God, it will be knowledge of good and evil on the side of evil. Now, that was Adam's heart. He had an intent. He wanted something apart from God. But if God hadn't made a law so that Adam's heart could be revealed, would he have been seen as a sinner, as a lawbreaker? The law shows us our hearts of sin. I have this image that I want to share with you, this graphic. And uh, Wes, can we have number one, please? This is a brain. Children of the 80s will remember, this is your brain on drugs. No, just kidding. So there's a fry pan with an egg. It it was great. And this is an MRI image. The magnetic... I guess that's redundant. Magnetic resonance imaging has where instead of radiation, we use another trick of physics. Using magnetic fields, we can look inside someone without cutting them open. And it's just... I hope you've never had to get an MRI and that... Uh, but aren't we so grateful that we live in an age where such radiology is available to us? All right? So this is a brain. Now, even with an MRI, even with this fancy technology of just being able to spin electrons and just and look inside, it's still not enough because the human body is 60% water. There's so much stuff inside that looks like other stuff that's also inside that an MRI just wouldn't be able to necessarily distinguish things apart from other things, particularly things that don't belong. And so, great scientists have come up with something else. Contrast dye. Number 2P, please. What this contrast dye does is it shows up. It's attracted by things that should not be there. And it shows up differently under an MRI and so here we have the sad picture of someone with very bad brain cancer so that white that you can see hopefully is just a gigantic tumor so and let's go to the third one so the before and after so with the before the MRI just it works but doesn't show anything until the dye comes in now just like how you need a radiologist needs the contrast die in the mri to show you how sick you are we need the law that tells us how sinful we are and how hopeless for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god the word of god the law of god is like that contrast die it doesn't make you sick The die doesn't make you sick any more than the law of God makes you a sinner. And so that's the purpose of the law, Paul says to Judaizers. To reveal our sin. But then, Paul tosses another question back. Saying, wait. Here's the next question. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Because if all that the law of God does to tell us that we're sinners and dead in our sins, is the law good? Because if you've got the law on one side that says that you are dead in your sins, and you have the promises of God on the other side that says that God is going to bless you, and he is going to figure out a solution and rescue you from your sins, it sure sounds like one is good and the other is not, doesn't it? But Paul continues and says, Certainly not. Heck no. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, the law of God is good when god and when we talk about the law of god you know the old testament has lots and lots of laws if you read the old testament i encourage you to do so with the reading plan that we've enclosed in the bulletin it has so many laws but they can all be reduced down to ten commandments the ten commandments so this is the moral law we call it and then everything else is case law how you obey these things how you obey these laws But then Jesus Christ did us a favor and even narrowed it down, summed it up in two laws, two commandments. They are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that all the law can be summed up in this. And the law is good. The promise was true. If you obey these commands perfectly, you will live. The fact that there is no one born of Adam that obeyed God's law perfectly, that no one deserved life, doesn't negate the fact that God was true when he gave the law. And so, what is good about the law then? You know, and the Bible says it is so good. In fact, you want to hear about how the law, talk, how the Word of God speaks of how good it is. Turn with me to your bulletin, all right? And you will see these Psalms at the bottom. Psalm nineteen seven, which says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul." And then John Morgan says that Psalm one nineteen is just the unabridged version of Psalm nineteen. Psalm 119.33, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. 35, lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The law of God is so good. Not just a little good, but it is so good because it shows us God's character and His desires. God is just. We can see that in His law. But He is also compassionate. He is kind. He is true. He is holy. He is concerned with the weak and the defenseless. The law of God shows these amazing things. When he says, you shall not have for yourself any other gods besides me, it's because God is saying, there are no other gods besides me, and God knows that truth. And when he, sa- when he says, you know, just honor your mother and father, it's because he is the one who has established mothers and fathers, parenthood, hierarchy, governments. And when he says, Do not kill. Do not murder. God is saying he prizes life. And he wants us to prize life. In fact, when we did our Sermon on the Mount series, do you remember how when Jesus said, when he was talking about the command, thou shalt not murder, that it's so much more more than that, that if you even have anger in your heart for someone, you have committed murder in your heart. Jesus Christ came And then he didn't soft-pedal the law. He amplified it to the ultimate degree. Showing that the law, it does show our sin. But it shows God's good goodness. His heart. That's how good the law of God is. That even when we follow it imperfectly, we are better for it. If you read and keep the Proverbs and all that the Proverbs says about working diligently instead of being the sluggard, right? Looking at the ant, following the ant. If you work hard and diligently in a normal world, should you fear for not having food and clothing and shelter? No. Because God has put his law into the universe. That's how it works. It's how energy works. All right, there's stuff that goes in and there's stuff that comes out And if you as a laborer put stuff in there ought to be that which comes out And so It works in in our in our own lives and our work lives But let's take it on a grander scale. It works with governments Our nation and i'm not going to argue that our nation is currently a christian nation, but we were certainly founded on Christians understanding God's law. Even in the Declaration of Independence, believing that by a creator we are imbued with inalienable rights. This rule of law, what has it done? It has made it so that we are respecters of property because the Bible says, the law says, do not covet and do not steal. Aren't you glad that someone stronger than you can't just come into your house, kick you out and say, it's mine now? Who would, who would put down mortgages if that, could, if that could happen, right? Even money works this way, legal tender. A $20 bill is a $20 bill to everybody. It's not worth more to one person and less to another. That $20 will get a rich person into a buffet just like it'll get a poor person into a buffet because we are ruled by law. Contracts are honored. Promises are promises. But what happens when there, a nation arises and governments arise where there is no view of God being God and there is no concern of God not stealing, not coveting, not lying. And let me tell you the joy that communism has been in the 20th century alone. Where communism, the very heart of it, according to Marx, is that religion is the opiate of the masses. So communism then is based on the fact that there is no God. And so commandment one is tossed out the window. There is no God, and we are masters of our own destiny well, if there is no God, then there is no real hierarchy, so there are no mothers and fathers. And so parents aren't parents of their kids. The state governs the kids and will teach them and be responsible for them. In fact, for a while, they even took children away from their parents and just raised them in these government communist schools. And since there's no God who says that I have made everything, it is mine and I've given to you to be stewards over... There's no such thing as people owning property. It all belongs to everyone, which means it belongs to no one. And we see how there is no motivation for any kind of real labor. We see how there is no motivation for any kind of integrity in dealings. And in fact, when you start violating a couple of the commandments, there are dire consequences. Because thou shalt not kill, under communism, 100 million people were put to death in the 20th century. So that is how good God's law is, that even when we follow it imperfectly, the world is blessed and better because of it, because in some imperfect way, we are putting on the values of God. But the law cannot save Just like that contrast dye didn't cause cancer, no one would expect that contrast dye to cure cancer. The law didn't make us sinners, but the law can't save us from our sin. Which gets us to the best part of the law is that it points us to God's plan. The laws were given by God to show first the Israelites and still us today how we have completely failed. We have failed to obey God. We have failed to have righteousness of ourselves. And it brings us to cry out the question, how can I be saved? John Stott says it this way. Not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification and life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. The function of the law was not to bestow salvation, but to convince men of their need of it. The law proves us sinners and has us crying out, God, you must save, and you alone. Where can we turn then to our God who gave us his law but gave us his even better promises? Brings us to the last point. Prisoners until Christ. That before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. See, Paul is saying that God did not stop at giving the law any more than your doctor would stop at giving you a diagnosis a good doctor will do everything in his or her power to stop to extend your life and to fight the disease ravaging your body God gives us his law shows us how we do not meet that standard but shows how he is still faithful to his promises and Paul reminds the Judaizers the Galatian church and us today. That in the Old Testament, the people were not saved by following God's law any more than we are saved by what we do today. They were saved by trusting the promises of God. They were saved saying, yes, Lord, I believe the promise that you made in the garden, that Eve's seed would crush the serpent's head. I believe that You promised Noah that you would not flood the earth in judgment ever again. You had a plan. I believe the promise that you gave to Abraham that you would make of Abraham's seed a blessing by which all of us would be blessed and that you would keep your promise even if we do not. I believe the law that you gave to Moses that we would live. And in fact, there will be one who does obey the law who deserves to live even if I do not. And I believe the promise that you gave to David, that there will be one in David's line who will sit on the throne of heaven forever, and his, he will not fail. So the law, the law points us, it causes us to just say, we cannot do this of ourselves, we must have God intervene, there must be a Savior. You know, Paul even says that the law imprisoned us. It's a prison. Do you know what a prison teaches prisoners? That there's such a thing as freedom, and you do not have it. A prison teaches, the best thing that a prison can teach prisoners is that there's such a thing as freedom, you don't have it, but you want it. We're actually going to talk a little bit about this next time and continuing because we're going to keep talking about the law because it doesn't end here. But it also describes the law as a teacher, as a pedagogos. That's where we get the word pedagogy, having to do with teaching. Who needs a tutor? Kids. Kids need tutors when they don't have what they need to know. And a tutor holds the kid, binds them up where they are, saying, you need to learn this, so let's do these drills. Let's study. I will teach you until you learn. Probably use this illustration again and again, but I have a son, five years old. His name is Ethan. His name is also Flight Risk. So, because he will just run anywhere and everywhere away from his parents away from people trying to guard him he will run into the street because he just doesn't get it and so we have him on lockdown maybe this would have been a better illustration under prison rather than tutor so we lock the house we never just leave, leave the door open if we overfried the bacon and the fire alarms going off the door's still staying shut because he will run and when we do take him outside, I grab his wrist. Not his hand, because he will not hold back. And I have a death grip on his wrist. Because I am teaching him where life is and where death is. Now, at a certain age, will he magically no longer need me to teach him that? Will he no longer need me to hold his, hold his hand, his wrist? No, there's no magic about it. He will know what to do and what not to do as he learns from me my values, as he learns from me what is necessary for life. And that is what the law of God was meant to do for us, to show how we would live, not by us being perfect and obeying the law perfectly, but trusting that there would be one who does come, not born under sin, but still born of a virgin and obeying the law of God perfectly the way Adam did not. And Jesus Christ obeyed God's law in every way that we should have and yet was without sin. But the promise does not stop there. That Jesus Christ obeyed God's law, but then fulfilled God's law By dying for us on the cross. The law keeper for law breakers. The obedient one for the disobedient. The worthy for the unworthy. Jesus Christ hung on the cross for our sins. And the law shows us why there was a need for the cross. Colossians 2.17, that these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Our sin, our law-breaking was the need for the cross, but Jesus Christ is the worthy Lamb of God. And in Christ and in Christ alone, we are spared what we deserve. And so in Jesus Christ, the promises of God are all, yes, they are all, Amen. And we see that the promise of God is the person, Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, what do we do with this from here? How do we understand this? It doesn't mean we throw out the law. We will continue. And I'm so glad that we have weeks and weeks to talk about this. It doesn't mean we can live however we want to live, but we do not live in such a way in order to be saved. You know, ask yourself this question, question: what is a Christian? If you answer, saying a Christian is someone who goes to church and is kind to others and those sort of things, you're telling me things a Christian does. But what, what a Christian is, is someone who has had their sins paid for. By Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who finds salvation alone. Salvation in Christ alone. A Christian is someone who has faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from anything he or she has done. That is what a Christian is. Please, and ask yourself this question this week, and again and again, because we forget it. What a Christian does, but more importantly, what a Christian is. And Jesus Christ saves us because none of us, if we had to live by what a Christian does, would live. He saves us by the life that he lived and by the death that he died. And it is by his grace alone that we are saved. And that is the good news for us. Not that God has imposed a law on us that we could not keep, in fact, the order is that we did not keep it, but that he has given to us a prom- promise and a law keeper who would save us by grace. Let us pray. Prepare your hearts now for communion as we just in this tactile, physical way, visible way, celebrate Just the good news that has been given to us right now. And when I say prepare your hearts, I don't mean just in this moment be less of a sinner. If that's what you took away, then you you heard a different sermon. But to prepare our hearts means to be thankful for what Jesus Christ has done. To prepare our hearts to say, We deserve nothing but death and suffering. We have never been good enough. We have never been kind enough. We have never been loving enough. But Jesus Christ, the one who is all loving and all kind, showed his grace for us on the cross and died for our sins. And brothers and sisters, that is what we celebrate and that is what we remember in the Lord's Supper. And in fact, we take this seriously because the Bible tells us to take it seriously. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That means that this person eats and drinks judgment on himself. We don't want any of you to drink and eat judgment on yourself. So we are going to say, unless you are a member, an active member of some Bible-believing christ teaching church please don't take communion today but if you want to take communion and you're wondering what it is that i just said please come talk to me or any of the elders and we will get you prepared or baptized or remembered or whatever it is so that you can partake of communion very shortly but we want to protect you this is only for those who trust and believe that their salvation is by faith in christ alone But the Lord's Supper is here for all of us to partake. For what I receive, I give to you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you receive the bread, please hold it, that we might partake of it together in unison, showing how it is the one body of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are all part of. As you hold the bread, Scripture says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As you hold or as you wait for the bread, meditate on the thankfulness that you should have for who Jesus is and what he has done. The bread that signifies his body broken for your sins on the cross. Let us take the bread and thanksgiving together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. let the bread and the cup reminding you of the body and blood of Jesus Christ teach you and remind you that this is how grace came to us connecting the sermon that we lawbreakers deserved no part of God's acceptance and presence for he is holy and we are not but Jesus Christ in his infinite grace and mercy to shed His blood and for His body to be broken that we might have what only He deserves. Only Jesus Christ deserved eternal presence with the Father, the eternal delight of the Father. And Jesus Christ exchanged what He alone deserved on the cross for what we deserved, becoming sin. So that the wrath of God will be poured out entirely on him. So that there will be no drop left for us to drink. Because you and I could not drink even one drop of God's wrath and survive. But he drank that cup dry. And so for this, we rejoice. For this, we cry out of God's amazing grace. And so... As you hold the cup, let us sing this last song together. And please rise and let us sing this with conviction and gladness.
1: the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place You would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I would be set free. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Our chaos back into order. Who makes the orphan? A son and daughter, the king of glory, the king of all kings. Who rules the nations with truth and justice? Shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The king of glory the King of all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. you've done. Who was slain? Worthy is a king who conquers the grave, and worthy is the lamb who was slain.
0: Take the cup in Thanksgiving together. Scripture says, "For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes." Out of thankfulness, we take communion, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Aren't we so glad that the name? of our God is not first to us lawgiver but merciful God Savior Redeemer and friend aren't we thankful that Jesus Christ is our Savior and now with that thankfulness go into his world and proclaim thankfulness proclaim Christ's death until he comes now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all from now to forevermore. Amen and amen. Go in peace.